0: Well, it's Friday, and every Friday you know it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Savalero. we're going to talk about something I think is really important today. But first, this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by pulsera Learn more about how you can build a regional system of care for free at EMS. And being Friday, I get a chance to talk to one of my best friends on this whole podcast. There's only two of us. Kelly Grayson, KG, how are
1: you? Um, I'm good, brother. I'm good. Uh, slowly but surely tearing my hair out because we've got a an EMS conference coming up and and uh, trying to organize that. I've got an EMT class ending and an advanced EMT class beginning, and uh, uh, I, there I need to add a couple more hours to each day to get everything done.
0: Well, I mean, I think that uh, you are the busiest man in EMS. You travel about, what, 100,000 miles a year? Oh, I, I wish.
1: Uh, yes, yes, according to the IRS, yes, I do travel 100,000 <laughs> miles a year.
0: As far as the IRS knows, that's oh, what I do. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you do travel a lot, you do teach a lot, yeah. and uh, I, I think you got to get pretty tired of that every so often, but i, I got to tell you, I think you have a good purpose. It's- and your purpose is really to educate yeah. our career field. Not only, you know, we had the opportunity. We did a great show, I think, from Lake Placid. You know, we had the opportunity to watch each other speak. And, you know, the 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 education and the entertainment that you give to people really kind of go hand in hand. So it's not just that you're educating them in, you know, different topics. You make it enjoyable. You make it fun. Like, you know, the anatomy of a pew. And maybe you can... Got kind of a just really quick talk about what that was, but
1: well, it, that was uh, a a part of a lecture called uh, "Wound Ballistics: An Idiot's Guide to Firearms Trauma," uh, and I developed that lecture after after revising a, the trauma lecture in a paramedic textbook, and and everything about firearms in there was written by someone who abs- had absolutely no clue about firearms or firearms trauma. Uh, it was littered with buzzwords and and BS. So, uh, I said, you know, if this kind of stuff they're getting in initial education, how many EMS providers actually know anything about, uh, what kind of, uh, uh, guns can cause what kind of trauma and, and and generally what kind of wound patterns you see. So uh, I did that. And it's uh it's a uh, you know just a primer on on penetrating trauma from firearms and and I start off with okay here's a little gun terminology for them and it's sh- it's a it's an illustration of a uh, uh, of a uh, cartridge. Um, uh, exploded view of a cartridge. It's, it's labeled anatomy of a pew, like pew, pew, pew. Uh, there's the primer, which is the magic bang button, and the, the case, which is the metal holding thingy, and the powder is the magical fire dust, and the, the bullet is the freedom seed. Uh, and the general general uh, point is, is the, point, the pointy end of the freedom seed goes into the other guy and causes trauma, and we work from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and, and, uh, people got a kick out of that. What's well, the, uh, you know,
0: you, you always have to review anatomy before you do these things. So here's the anatomy of a pew. But, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know, we talk about, you know, the, your ability to educate, but yet you do it in a way that's entertaining. But, you know, I, I think that we're grateful for the, uh, opportunities to hear and, uh, you know, so there we go. That's that's yeah. I, I, hopefully, I re, I said it just like you wrote it. So, but you you did you did. All uh, uh, the checks in the mail. Thank you very much. And, and it's like <laughs> almost like uh, uh, royalties. But uh, so you know, Kelly, I had an interesting discussion this week that I, I thought it would really be good for you and I to have, and maybe get some listeners uh, in, involved okay. in this. And I was asked the question that in the future, what was the what type of delivery model? would be obsolete so you know we talk about you know rural volunteer we talk about third city service we talk about fire hospice, i mean all, all the different models and and uh you know my my response is probably going to surprise you but I, I thought we'd start off i want to ask you what system do you think is going to be obsolete let's think about it. we pick a number man pick a number like maybe 10 years from now and uh let's go ahead and dish on that but if i ask you what it is what what do you think what system do you think will be obsolete in the future uh
1: that's a that's a toughie i i really i hesitate i tell you which system no i won't tell you which system would i wish would be obsolete in in 10 years because that'll generate a firestorm of hate mail um uh i personally i think that that uh Public utility models are probably a little redundant. I don't know.
0: Um, I don't know if there's any left. To be honest with you, I think maybe there's. Yeah, the the ones the ones that have uh, gone
1: to a PUM have uh, many of them that that tried that model for a while went back because they discovered that it simply adds another layer of useless bureaucracy uh, to to the management of your organization. So I would say public utility models are probably going to go the way of the dodo uh, in the foreseeable future.
0: Well, those who don't know what a a public utility model is or PUM, think about it as a three-legged stool and you have an ambulance authority that's usually set up by the municipality. Mm -hmm. And then you have a medical director's office and they get part of the Uh, revenue, so they'll get X amount of cents or dollars per run. And then you have a contractor that comes in that does the ambulance work. So if you think about MedStar in Fort Worth was an old public utility model, and uh, it was run by AMR for a while, it was run by Rural Metro for a while, and then the authority said, you know what, why do we need the middleman? Why don't we just go ahead and... Take all the assets, and we talk about the ambulances. We talk about the equipment. We talk about the personnel, and then we just run the ambulance services ourselves. I think uh-huh. that I think at the time there may have been you know ten or twelve public utility models in the United States. All the ones that were like kind of listed as PUMs now, and we think about uh, uh, Oklahoma. We think about Reno, Nevada. We think about uh-huh. uh, you know MedStar and, and, and a few more. Uh, MEMS in Little Rock, Arkansas was a public utility yep. model. Uh, Sunstar in Florida is a public utility model. But mm-hmm. there aren't many left that are using the three-legged stool anymore. So when we talk about the PUMS going away, more or less they've gone away. and um, you know, But in the sense now you have a medical director's office, so it's more or less a two-legged stool than it is a three-legged stool. A bipod. It's, it is a bipod of
1: a system. <laughs> it's a bipod. Um, yeah, but uh, th- I think that's a that's an idea that sounded great in theory um, and and never really uh, you know took off uh, to the extent that Jack Jack Stout uh, believed it would. Um, and uh, people are, are realizing that uh, you know streamlining operations and and removing needless bureaucracy is a good thing to do. Uh.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I have a difference different take you know i think oh okay tell me about it well no but I, I just want to hit the pump and first off i'm surprised you didn't say a volunteer system uh you know i know um, how much, i know how much you do i, I think <laughs> that 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 but you know I, I just want to go back to the public utility models i think the genius of jack stout in developing the public utility <laughs> model was outstanding you know when we think about our response time compliance uh, 8 minutes and 59 seconds, 11 minutes and 59 seconds, 15 minutes mm-hmm. for Priority 3 calls. I think that it was really interesting that at a time when we had no real direction, I think Jack Stout's genius really kind of brought EMS into the time. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is uh, interesting is we have to, I think, still do some growth work to... Yeah. Um, Grow from that model, but we still use a lot of the things that uh, Jack put in place. So, uh, I, and I got to tell you, you know, from that uh, came system status management. And I know you're not a fan of system status management. And I got to tell I you, know when, I, when I was in the ambulance, <laughs> and we're kind of getting off topic here, but when I was in the ambulance, I hated system status management until every single time a priority one called, life threatening or potentially life threatening call or Priority 2 potentially life-threatening call dropped, I was almost all over that call every single time. And as much as I hated it for the post moves, I got to tell you, man, for uh, being in the right place at the right time, nine times out of ten, I was there.
1: Well, see, the uh, the the devil is in the details, and I think with system status management, you know, you, know you, you made a good point about Jack that in a in a time in in EMS's growth where we really needed organization and benchmarks to shoot for, and and and. Uh, that sort of thing. He came up with some good ideas. Uh, I do think that we have outgrown a number of those ideas and the problem with system status management is, is in the way it's implemented. There are some places that, that do system status management well, and there are other places that absolutely suck at it. Um, You know, I told Dale Loberger uh, one time who, who, you know, he he develops deployment plans, uh, based on an SSM model or a fluid deployment model. Um, told him how, how often we do post changes and how long we stay there. Um, and, and he was just flabbergasted. He was like, that, that is the most inefficient thing ever. And I think, well, yeah, (laughs) try working in it and and your, your tolerance will really fall through the floor. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it works in some places, uh, it, in other places it, it doesn't work so well. Um, and I think that, uh, it's a, it's a, a more intricate system to, to implement and manage than many people appreciate just, you know come up with a few posting locations do a do a call analysis and and figure out where our peak times and our our peak locations are and stick people in that area it's just that that really doesn't work all that well,
0: well I got to know I think it comes down to how it's managed I think cuz you use the term management True. And you said, uh, I, I personally, I think it stands for systemic sadomasochism and, and uh, I think any, who works in that,
1: uh, any medic who who works in those trucks would agree with me. So.
0: You know, I think that I think the trucks are always on the move. I don't know what better I don't know what better uh, model we have in a high performance EMS system when we talk about you know hundred thousand calls a year where you can put these ambulances in posts that they have to be on the move, I think system status management is really the best plan. But I think I think we digress. Um, but I'd like to share with you my thought of what okay. system is not going to be around in the future. But before we do that, I think it's important that we hear a little bit about Pulsara. So, Kelly, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Pulsara? Okay. Pulsara provides a real-time
1: communication network across entire regions, and it's free to EMS. The Pulsara platform, built on the power of mobile technology, unites the right clinicians at the right time for the right patient, providing transparency and streamlined communication. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build the team, and communicate using audio, video, instant messaging, data, images, and key benchmarks. Any patient, any condition, every time. Oh, and did we mention it's free to EMS? For more information, visit pulsera.com slash E-M-S. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash E-M-S. So,
0: you know, I know you were waiting. I know you were waiting until we got through Mm -hmm. this to to hear. But I think in the next 10 years, the way of private EMS is going to go by the wayside. I think that we are not going (laughs) to see private EMS anymore. And let me tell you why, because I know you're interested in it. Kelly, I I know you're sitting there interested in How the heck can I say that? So when we think about our, you know, system now, and you and I have talked about how we get reimbursed. And right now, every ambulance call that we run, we send a bill out the door, and that bill could be anywhere from $800 to Mm $1,500, depending on the system. And our biggest payer is what? Tell me. C.M.S. C.M.S. Medicare, exactly. So for that $1,500 that we send out the door, we get back $427, $421, whatever it is, in reimbursement. And you and I have talked about the pay Mm -hmm. for paramedics. The reason that pay is so low is because we do not get what we're supposed to get for reimbursement. And how do we pay somebody, you know, $30 an hour... When we're making $400 per call and we've got to, you know, offset all the costs of the ambulances and the supplies and the equipment and so on, and now you have a profit that you're supposed to run in a private EMS, because they're not for profit, they're for-profit agencies, you know, they're making money on the backs of, you know, the EMTs and paramedics that are doing the work. Now, with that said, now when we start to move to a value-based uh, payment or, or reimbursement model, meaning that what is the percentage of patients that we take to the hospital need to go? It's a very, very small percentage. So now it's based on medical necessity. If we can show a medical necessity, we're going to go ahead and get reimbursement. But in the future, it's going to be, how did you make the patient better when you got into the hospital? That's how we're going to reimburse you. And because we don't have that, because we don't have that... uh, um, you know that metrics right now. I don't know that we're going to start receiving any more money. The, the big hope is that you know ET three and you know they, they're now going to start looking at these payment models. I think less and less reimbursement is going to come from CMS. I think we're going to get reimbursed for less calls, and more of those agencies aren't going to be able to stay in business. I'd love to hear your thought.
1: Well, I uh, I think that you you tar um, uh, private. For profit EMS agencies with a very broad brush. Uh, first of all, um, there are a number of, of private EMS agencies. I happen to work for one that that balances profits and patient care very well. And I, I and I, I don't buy the notion that uh, that for profit EMS, by and large, can't implement performance metrics and prove the worth of what they're doing as well as a municipal agency or a fire department based agency. Um, and you 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 talk about diversifying of, of funding and, and or the shifting of, of funding to fee for service and fee for volume and, and fee for for uh, um, uh, performance uh, rather than just fee for transfer uh, transport. I think that that. The, the good, well run private EMS agencies are far more agile at changing business practices and in changing their 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 uh, practices um, uh, according to system demands and changes in in uh, in the the industry than for example, say, municipal government, where everything is dependent upon tax dollars. Um, and uh, it wasn't so long ago, Chris, that that a number of major municipal agencies were, were in crisis because Uh, the people, uh, the, their tax villages were going down, uh, tax revenues were going down as people fled from the cities into the, into the suburbs. Um, they were having a hard time as it is right now, meeting, uh, response time standards in many of those systems. And they have system status management. Um, what they don't have is a sustainable model, even tax-based where they can pay the pensions, uh and and that sort of thing of their retirees and that's been one of the the biggest gripes is hey what are we you know um what are we we getting getting for our money here or or, um i don't think that it's uh uh well let me stop right there um one of the biggest you know gripes has been the 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 burden of of pension payments for retired members and and how do they sustain that how they they possibly pay uh those obligations um, I don't think it's right for an EMS agency who has promised their, their, uh, retirees, one thing to, to, uh, renege on that promise. So, uh, I think you have to keep faith with your people, but it's not painting. It, it, it hasn't been the rosiest of pictures, uh, under, uh, under for tax-based, uh, agencies. So I, I don't really see private EMS going away in 10 years now. It. You mentioned uh, the change in our, our funding uh, methods. Uh, I think that's probably going to drive some of the more predatory, um, shoddily run uh, private EMS systems out of business and uh, maybe that's a good thing, brother, because um, so think- a lot of those places out there uh, ride the backs of, of good EMTs and paramedics and ride them into the dirt um and and maybe uh, a government uh funded entity will will uh, treat them a hell of a lot better. So you think that we'll see less municipalities? Uh no, I don't think we'll see less municipalities. What I think we'll see is if if what you predict comes to pass and uh cms funding uh declines and and they or they put additional structures on on what we do the the companies the private ems agencies uh that cannot adapt will fall um and perhaps they deserve to uh because i think that's the model that we really need to go to uh fee for service and fee for performance rather than just fee for transport um but you know billy bob's ems you call we haul that's all um, probably can't survive under that model, and and is that such a bad thing? Uh, maybe um, uh, some agencies uh, consolidate and and start to streamline their processes a little bit, and and pay their people a little better. And the ones that can't uh, that can't cut the mustard uh, and remain profitable, end. Uh, the question is 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 how are the municipalities going to replace uh, those private providers that that fold? Uh, you know, you've been seeing that with some of the major privates like AMR and Rural Metro pulling out of unprofitable areas. Uh, many of them were pulling out of those areas because just the cost of doing business there was, was uh, prohibitive. Uh, and, and the, the regulatory uh, aspect of it made it very difficult to make money. So maybe those municipalities change their, uh, um, change their structure, make it a little more business
0: friendly if they can't run an EMS system themselves. And I think that one of the things, you know, that you said I I find interesting is that, you know, back in the the olden days, a lot of, a lot of the. (laughs) Tell us how it was in the olden days. We used to have to walk to school uphill both ways. Um, (laughs) Through the snow. (laughs) Exactly. But what happened was, is that a lot of the cities that were requiring EMS used to pay a subsidy. There used to be some type of subsidy that was paid by the cities that would offshoot some of these private EMS agencies um, in their reimbursement, right? And what happened was is that a lot of the privates were starting to go into the cities to say, um, you know, we want zero subsidy. We'll do this for zero subsidy, and whatever we bill is what we're going to operate on. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly, and I think that that's where the lack of sustainability has come from. As a matter of fact, in this week there was a um, article in EMS one from Kansas that talked about you know the EMS agency had to go back to the city and ask for more money. So yeah. I think that if we're going to get to a point where we have to get back to a subsidy that the cities are going to need to pay, why aren't they just if, and if they're going to tax people to do that? Why don't they just tax people enough to put their own systems in place?
1: maybe maybe in those places that is what needs to happen um, but like I said, you know I have a, a a little bit broader perspective on the the private EMS because I work for one of the bigger privates in the country now. Um, and I've worked for the biggest private, uh, in the country, uh, in the past. And and I've spent most of my career working for, for private EMS, either small mom and pop organizations with a lot of heart and very little, uh, very little revenue, uh, and people with, uh, not a whole lot of heart and a whole lot of revenue. I think my current employer balances it well. Now we pay a, a very competitive wage. Uh, our benefits are, are stellar and we're making money and the folks that participate in our profit sharing program, our stock ownership program, you know, we got medics that, that, that have been here 20 years they'll retire 30 years and they'll be millionaires. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're doing well under the current model. Um, and the reason they've done well under the current models is they've kept track of industry trends and they've tried to stay ahead of things uh, and be proactive um in in making sure that they can still deliver quality care and and remain profitable um and i can't help but think that that other that we're the only private ems company uh that that is run like that i'm sure there are others out there that that have smart leadership um that can uh spot the, the the shifting winds and and uh and adapt accordingly. So I I really don't think that, I don't agree with you that private is going to go away. I think that, uh, it may, you may see some contraction and consolidation in years to come. Um, but I think the PUM is, is, is going to be extinct. Um, and, uh, Nancy would tell you, she doesn't think the volunteers are going anywhere even though a lot of people would like them to, uh, because, uh, we we neglect to consider just how much of EMS and how much geographical landmass uh, that volunteer EMS covers, where there is no viable funding source, tax based, for profit, how whatever there there just ain't enough people, enough tax revenue, and enough patient volume to support a paid ambulance service. So they ain't going away anytime soon. That's what she does for a living: is is try to make the ones that don't want to go away operate better and 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 function more more professionally but hey that's what we think we'd like to hear what you think is the future going to spell the doom of private ems volunteer ems municipal ems fire department ems public utility models which one is gonna which ones are going to be left standing um when our funding model shifts radically in the coming years we'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com And for myself and co-host Chris Sedolero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.